0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you today. Can we give these guys a round of applause and say thank you for leading us? One of my favorite things to do uh, on Sunday morning while we sing that is to just um, sh- shut my own mouth, uh, since I'm not a good singer, but also because I want to listen um, to everyone together singing. Uh, that's what they're doing. They're helping us all together to, to sing what's, what's good and what's true and what's right. And uh, this is part of it. This is what we do as a church, as a body. We are singing together. This is particularly our flock, our people. And uh, what a wonderful thing to be all together uh, saying the truths of God and singing them with our hearts. That's what, that's what we're here to do. And I love hearing that more than anything else. Um, I pray that you're well this morning. I'm glad to be gathered together uh, with you uh, this morning as, um, as I have been uh, already with the first service of people. Um, you guys are better. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I'm really glad that that one was over and now I'm with you all. Uh, I tell them the same thing, actually. But I'm glad to be gathered with you. Um, we need it. We need it. We need to be with each other. I need it. I need it. Um, the Lord has given us the great gift of each other to encourage each other, particularly those who are in this faith family. So make sure to lean on one another. Make sure to depend on each other. Make sure to encourage each other from God's word in particularly, in particular. Make sure to love one another. You need it. It's going to help you grow with humility and with with honesty. Um, today we're you know our time our hour that we spend together here while, with with um the, with God's word and me teaching you um is so important. I will tell you that um, uh, even uh, Martin Luther said uh, you're not going to grow as a Christian or even before that, you can't become a Christian, can't become a Christian and you can't grow as a Christian without or apart from God's word. You can't do it. You can't become a Christian and you can't grow as a Christian apart from God's word, right? So this is an important thing for you to recognize. Experience cannot grow you. Right? You can say, hey, I'm growing in Christ because I'm experiencing different things that are causing me to grow and be better. It's not true. You're, you're, deceive- you're deceived. You can only grow with God's word and you can only become a Christian through God's word. And so this is so important. Uh, experience can't do that. Um, so I, I would ask you even, you know, can you remember the last thing that you learned personally from God's word? It should happen like that. It should happen like that for you. You should, re- you should remember, this is what I read in the word of God, and this is the effect that it had on me, and you should be able to, re- to remember it that quickly, because it was so recent. You know, last night, I, was, I, I started the book of Job last night, and I, I was just... Taken, taken aback by, by the, the things that were said of Job in the first verse, it's that, that he, Job, was uh, blameless, that he was upright, just meditated upon these, these words, that he feared the Lord, and, uh, and, and this is who this man was, Right? And, and so this, this is an incredible thing, and, and I'm just thinking, Lord, make me like that, right? And, um, and, and you should be able to think of these things. You should be able to, to think of these things on a regular, on a regular basis. Um, and so today, as we open God's Word, and as we look at this together, and as I just encourage you with what God's Word says today. Um, we're going to look at our TFC family monthly memory verse, um, and we're just going to repeat it uh, together. I pray that uh, that you've been memorizing this. Sometimes uh, people have been acting shocked or surprised, like, "Oh yeah, the memory verse." Um, we do it every month, okay? And we will continue. Um, but uh, but this is this is the verse that the Lord is is teaching us with and encouraging us with, and. Uh, and we're memorizing a verse per month, just something that we can all be reciting and really meditating on, repeating. Maybe see if you can do it without looking. I've messed it up a few times because I memorized it in college, and I think the NIV, um, it's when the NIV was real popular uh, during my days in college, and so um, I might uh, uh, mess that up, but if I do, just um, yell at me, correct me, but here we go. See if you can do it without looking. If not, read it on the screen. It's okay, ready? Whom have I in heaven but you, And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's say it again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want that to become true of you this month. That you would say that honestly from your heart. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God, let that be true of you. Do you know Psalm 73, we don't have time to look at it, but you can turn there later on today. Um, Don't turn there now, but you can turn there later on today and just read it. You know what Psalm 73 is about? Psalm 73 is is written by a man named Asaph and and he is talking the whole the whole psalm about why the wicked are prospering. He's upset that the wicked always seem to prosper. Those who don't follow God, they just seem to prosper. Like we've kept our faith in vain. He's upset. He's, he's, he's saying those who don't follow you, God, who don't keep your law, they just seem like everything's going their way. They have no payings. Nothing's happening. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't experience any difficulties. I've, I've kept my faith towards you and live for you in vain. It's, it's, there's no benefit. There's, there's no purpose to it. The, the wicked just seem to be prospering. Those who don't follow you just seem to be having a great old time and everything seems to be going well. And then he says... Um, that thought almost caused him to fail. It almost caused him to to faint and to to turn away from God. He said he was brutish before God in that way as he was thinking about that until later on in the Psalm when he says, until I entered into the sanctuary of God. And I love that because he said, until I was with maybe the people of God. And until I had God in my view, I wasn't seeing right. He said, then I discerned their end, he says in Psalm 73. Then I discerned their end, meaning the wicked, he said, surely you set them on slippery slope. Eventually the wicked, they will face judgment. And there will be no benefit to those who don't follow God. And then he says, but as for me, it is good to be near to God. And he says, then the famous words, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So if you feel like, why is everyone else always, the world seems to be prospering and not those who follow God, um, follow that Psalm, it'll help you. It'll help you. So, You want to say this honestly in your heart. Well, now, if you can, um, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, and um, this is where we're going to be today for the next little while, chapter 11 of Luke, verses 1 through 13. Today, we're going to move into our last two prayer seats. If you've been with us in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord has been teaching us the categories of prayer that we should have in every prayer. This is the structure of all of your prayers, the Lord's Prayer. These are categories. They're not meant to be merely repeated and just mindlessly recited. They are meant to be headings, categories, to where we... Um, We pray, and these headings guide us in our structure. They shape our prayers. Jesus is teaching a true disciple how he or she should pray every day. This should be the pattern for all of your prayers, right? So the last two headings and categories that should shape our prayers, these are them. Today, the last two headings before next week, we will move into the last section of this kind of mini series on the motivation. Next week, we'll talk about the, the rest of that five through thirteen. We'll talk about the motivation of why we should praise Jesus motivates us. But we'll have finished. This is now our uh, our fourth, our fifth week, our fifth week this week on the Lord's prayer. And the first four, we've gotten all the way up into these last two requests. These two requests will be our our fifth week and the next week will be our last week as we talk about the motivation. Uh, Go back and listen to them, please, if you have not, because I think Jesus will, will help to build your prayer life. But today we face the last two in the pattern, which are, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation, Forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. And we're going to read in a a few minutes and we're going to look at this. But though the entirety of this pattern that we've seen in this whole section, all the headings that Jesus gives us, although it's short, although it's short, it divinely comprises all that we should pray As Jesus trains his disciples here in this, on the road to Jerusalem, he's training us and we learn how we should pray. All of our prayers should fall under these headings. All of our prayers should fall under these headings. In fact, we should pray and follow this pattern daily. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern for every time we we pray. And all of the details of our prayers should fall underneath of these headings. Martin Lloyd-Jones in 1974 says this, Our whole life is found there in these petitions. And that is what makes this prayer so utterly amazing. In such a small compass, our Lord has covered the whole life of the believer in every respect. Our physical needs, our mental needs, and of course, our spiritual needs are included. The body is remembered. The soul is remembered. The spirit is remembered. We cannot fail to be impressed by the all-inclusiveness of these petitions. That does not mean that we should never enter into details, we must. We are taught to do so. We are taught to bring our life in detail to God in prayer. But here we have only the great headings. Our Lord gives us these and we fill in the details. But it is important for us to be sure that all of our petitions should belong under one or the other of the headings. This is what he's teaching us. And so here we find the, the final two headings. As the Lord teaches the disciples how to pray and teaches us how to pray, the final two headings, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. Now persevere, church. We need God's word. Persevere. As believers in Christ, it is important to recognize as the first, and we're going we're gonna to read in a minute, but it's important for us to recognize That we, on a regular basis as believers in Christ, should recognize, should confess, and should repent of our sins. It's important for you to recognize, as a believer in Christ, that on an ongoing basis, you should recognize, confess, and repent of your sins to help you not live at peace with your sins. When you do this you're not you don't live at peace with your sins. When you're confessing regularly there's it's impossible to live at peace with your sins. You won't just fall into living at peace with your sins. To know that the Lord must still change you. You must know that and when you're confessing you you come to realize that so that you don't settle into your sins comfortably. that you don't deceive yourself and think that you're fully surrendered when you're not? It, It helps you to not settle in comfortably, and so we even don't accept our sins simply as personality quirks. This is just who I am. This is what just makes me different from everybody else. Even sometimes we take pride in our sins and kind of giggle at them, thinking that's just the way that I am. That's how the Lord has made me different. No, even our most basic character trait that is selfish or unloving or prideful or for our own identity, which stems from our own desire for control or pleasure or retreat from responsibility, should be recognized, should be confessed of, and should be repented of as sin. We should take no pride in the flesh. You should not gloss over areas that we see as different from what we see in God's word. We should not overcompensate for them just because we're insecure about them or intimidated by the thought of changing them. No, we should call sin what it is and find freedom. Not in hiding it, not in laughing it off, not in ignoring it, not in trying to make up for it, or even being a, uh, just being uh, absent-minded about it. We shouldn't find freedom in excusing our sin in a way that isn't cognizant about it and broken about it. You should find freedom in confessing it. And you should find freedom in relational restoration with God on a regular basis as you confess your sins. Help me, God, to to shepherd you gently now, because I I want you to get this. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says to the believer, by the way, the whole book of 1 John is the 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 evidences of a believer So in 1 John 5, verse 13, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, believer, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You might be confident, see evidences in this book that match with your life, and say, I'm a believer. This is a confirmation of a believer or an identifier that you're not one in the book of 1 John. And so he says to believers, if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is for the believer. And so Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but who confesses it and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You'll obtain mercy. David in Psalm 32 writes, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So Jesus is telling us to make a regular habit of recognizing our sins so that we can make a regular habit of confessing our sin. Now, I want to warn you, friends. When the topic of sin is addressed, sin proper, meaning the subject of, of sin, rather than any particular one, our flesh will try to find its way out. So right now, your flesh may be trying to find its way out of what I'm saying. And the usual means for for this, for finding its way out, the usual means for this is to begin thinking about somebody else. That's how your flesh is going to start to try to find its way out of this. And I want to tell you, don't do that, first of all, because God's going to give you healing today. But also, your flesh is is going to try to find its way out through doing this, to think of somebody else's sins, their sins, the the one particular person's sins, and wonder if they're recognizing it, if they're confessing it. And even to become embittered towards others. Ironically, while Jesus is standing in front of you today and telling you to confess your sins. We may think we have arrived and others need to hear this more. But Jesus is telling each one of us, every believer in the room, that we should pray the next category of our prayer in every one of our prayers, the recognition and the confession of our own sin, be it anger or selfishness or pride or lust or unkindness or judgment or far more detestable sins, even after you have been judiciously forgiven before God. I'm gonna explain that a little bit later. Confession of sin to God should become a way of life your own sin, it just keeps you far from God and you need relational restoration with God. Your sin starts to separate your relationship with him. It's not, it doesn't, it's not intimate anymore. It's a little bit distant. There's something in between there. It's not right. It's not healthy. There's some awkwardness there. Because I got the sin that I'm not confessing. And you remember the days when you used to be close. Or the morning. Or yesterday. Or two days ago. Or this morning. And then your sin has caused separation. And you don't want that anymore. You want to come back. You don't want to act or feel or talk or think in a way that just covers up your, your sin. And keeps you separated from God. You want to come back to him because you know it's that's the only safe place to be it's the only good place to be it's the only right place to be it's the only place you love to be with him And Jesus will tell us that you should be confessing your sin on a regular basis to keep you there And then Jesus will tell us today that there is a prerequisite for relational restoration with God through confession. There's a prerequisite. And that prerequisite is your own forgiveness of others before you come to receive relational restoration with God through forgiveness. There's a prerequisite. In fact, you must come to God confessing your sin only after you have forgiven others in your heart of their transgressions. And if there is none of that, then just logically, you can't expect your relationship with God to be restored through your confession. You, you would be still having more to confess if you still harbor that in your heart. It's not gonna happen. And so you must be ready to do that. In church, Jesus wants us to become people who live lives full of confession of sin to God and regular forgiveness of others this is the this is the prerequisite when i say prerequisite most of the students in the room if you ever become have be, have been a student you like start to like shake prerequisites upon prerequisites upon prerequisites All right, i got a prerequisite for my prerequisite right in seminary i'm like how many prerequisites we got here this is a prerequisite And you must be ready to forgive. You must forgive, not be ready to. You must, if you are to receive relational restoration with God through confession of your sin to God and receive forgiveness from God. So, listen, can I tell you? You cannot let your life be void of this, of confession and forgiveness of others. Here's what it's going to do for you it's going to keep your relationship with God intimate. As you do this regularly, it's going to keep your relationship with God intimate and deep and healthy and satisfying. You should want to stay in that place 100% of the time. If you're not there right now, and I know some of you may, may not be, you don't even know or remember what it was like. Or sometimes you don't even know how far away from home you've drifted. But it needs to be back to where you're sitting with God in intimacy on a regular basis. You you could not be closer. And the confession will do that. It'll keep you aware also of the specific ways the Lord still wants to change you to make you full of faith and to be like him. If you don't confess regularly, you're not gonna be aware of that. It'll keep you aware of that. You need to be continually searching your own heart, recognizing, confessing in line with God's word. You need to keep your your life in step with this and you need to be recognizing this and confessing this. It's gonna keep you aware of the specific ways the Lord still wants to change you. You have a long way to go. You have a long way to go. Sanctification is a process. Regular confession will also, it'll cause you, because if you're doing this genuinely, it'll cause you not to stop with the recognition and the confession but with a pleading you if you're doing this regularly and genuinely you won't stop with a confession. You will be regularly pleading it will move you to pleading with the Lord for specific resolve to be changed. And it'll make you come to a place where you begin to work to apply God's word to specific areas of your life on a regular basis. You might see that and you say, I need that word. I need to tuck that away here. Help me to apply it at specific times and specific ways to this specific area of my life. Right, when I read this. I just read in 1 Peter, he said, let those who suffer continue to entrust themselves to the faithful creator while doing good. So I say to myself, God, when I'm suffering, help me, God, help me to entrust my soul to you who are a faithful creator, and let me keep doing good. And then when I experience every moment of suffering, I do that, and I remember that, and I apply that. That's how you must live, to eradicate the sins from your life, become more like Christ. And it's, it's, regular confession is going to help you to do that. It's also going to glorify the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as you confess it, it, it glorifies the gospel in which you receive grace for all of your sins. It makes the gospel look great. And it will keep you will keep the body of Christ healthy and loving and humble and pure as you make sure you have forgiveness in your heart towards others while you are confessing your sin to God. So the next part of the structure, we're going to pray. And I'm telling you a lot of what we're going to tell you before I tell you what he told us. But we'll see that in a minute. We should pray to God to forgive us our sins. And then also we're going to see here that Jesus is going to teach us not to ask him to lead us not into temptation. Now, he does not lead us into temptation, nor, does, nor will he ever. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But here's, here's, the, here's what's happening here. The temptation is in your heart. The temptation is in the world. You have sin in your heart. You have sin in the world. And you are praying here that God would not let you step into it. Lead me not into temptation. Don't let me step into it and indulge. Don't let me cross the line. Don't let me trespass. Don't let me step over the line. Don't let me make the decision. Don't let me give way to unbelief. Don't let my faith fail. Keep me from that. And then he and then he he uh, clarifies it in Matthew. Deliver me from that evil. And so you must understand this is what is is happening here. And in Job, um, the the one I, I forgot, the fourth element of his of his personhood, his character in chapter one that I read uh, last. Last night, they said he turned away from evil. So, did he see it? Yeah, he saw it, but then he turned away from it. Don't let me step into it. This is what our prayer is, and so we pray. This prayer acknowledges the weakness of that we have to fight the battle of sin without God's help, and then it acknowledges that we need God. When he's doing two things, when he's testing our faith, because listen, your whole life is full of him testing your faith. That's your whole life. Get used to it. That's your life. Testing your faith. Why? Not to prove to him and give you an A or B or C or D, to make your faith strong. And as you give up every time he's testing your faith, then you, you, your, your faith doesn't strengthen, it weakens, right? He is making your faith strong so that you say at every moment in your life, All I need is him. That's what he's trying to do. Or, in every instance, I trust his word. You can't do anything to me. I trust his word 100%. I know whom I've believed. Can't do anything. I trust his word. I'll stand on it even if I'm on a tightrope. You can't do anything. That's what he wants your life to be like. I trust his word completely, 100%. Can't tell me anything. Right? That's what he wants your life. And he's strengthening it. So when he's doing that, he wants you... You, you pray, God, don't let me give way in those moments of testing. Don't let me give way in those moments of strengthening. And secondly, when you're walking through this world, which is full of sin and evil, don't let me give way to temptation. Deliver me from it. Don't let me step through the door. Tell let me turn away from evil, right? So this is what he's saying. So let's pray. Let's ask God. Let's just read this passage again. We're gonna look at it and uncover the, the details of it so we can better teach us to pray this way and then we'll be done. So let's just let's look at this um, and ask, ask God to help us. First, Father, we come before you. We, we do what you have told us to do. God, please, our Father in heaven, right now in this room, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come here on earth right now as as it is in heaven. God, give us what we need right now. More than even bread, we need your word. Forgive us, God, of our sins and teach us to pray this and help us to be people who regularly forgive others of their trespass against us. And God, lead us not into temptation, even now that we might be tempted to check out. Help us to persevere. It's a little while. There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more life-giving than your word. Lead us away from temptation right now. Deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 11, verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Beautiful. Prayer seed number five forgive us our sins from verse number 4, and then he adds a little clause, a statement that we should add to our petition. It's not part of a request, but it's a statement that we should say honestly to the Lord as we pray for our forgiveness. So forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now look at the text with me, okay? Luke says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Matthew says, his account, which is the only other account, says, forgive us our debts as we, listen, as we have also, past tense, which we'll talk about in a minute, forgiven our debtors. This is clarifying the way in which this is structured. This is really helpful, okay? Now, Jesus is teaching true disciples how to pray. He's teaching true, genuine disciples how to pray. So you may be confused by why one who believes, whose sins are forgiven by Christ, should pray for forgiveness when he or she prays. So we gotta lay some groundwork for a little while, okay? Stay with me. We start with the fact that forgiveness is the greatest need of everyone before God. Forgiveness is your greatest need. Only sin can send you to hell. Only sin. It is the greatest Enemy that you have. Forgiveness is your greatest need. Only sin can send you to hell. Unforgiven sin. That's it. Satan can't send you there. Sickness can't send you there. Starvation can't send you there. Sabotage can't send you there. Only sin sends you to hell. Apart from God for all of eternity. Only sin. It's your worst enemy and forgiveness is the greatest need that you have before God, okay? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Sin is the biggest and most damning and destructive problem we all face. It sends us to an eternity apart from God to pay the eternal penalty because our sins are against an eternal God. They go on as an offense to God forever. Because you have an offended an eternally holy God. He doesn't die. Your offense towards him is forever. So, sin separates you from God. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not Here, Your sins have made separation between you and holy God. And the Lord desires to forgive you of your sins. Look at Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. He desires to forgive. This is his great love and mercy. But we begin with the knowledge that we are all sinners. Romans 3, 23 says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? Okay. 1 Kings 8.46 says, For there is no one who does not sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Sin is the reason for every broken thing in your life, every wrong desire, every act of selfishness, everything that you have that is away from the the truth and the love that God provides in his son Jesus is, as a result of sin, every broken thing in your life. It rules in every natural heart. And the New Testament defines sin as a number of things. It defines it as missing the mark. It it defines it as stepping across the line. It defines it as of stepping into darkness. It defines it as lawlessness. It defines it as taking a false step, like a transgression. If you transgress, you have crossed the line. You've entered into an arena that you don't want to be in, that you should not be in, that is dark, that will hurt you, that will cause you to be away from your good and strong and loving and holy God. That is what sin is. It will not, it's not holding up to your obligation and therefore being in debt. And so the sin, it separates you from God and it makes you spiritually dead. Not only are you guilty before God, but you're also spiritually dead because of your sin. Dead people need to be made alive. Sleeping people need to be made awake. Distracted people need to be shaken Dead people need to be made alive. Your sin, you are dead in your sins before Christ. Literally, there's not a cell of an inclination for God and his word and forgiveness and living for him without God's work in your dead soul. And then he makes us alive. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it just says it. And you were what? dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Everybody, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. This is everybody, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what we all were. Because verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And our sins are primarily against God. Psalm 51, 4 says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you may sin against others, but when you do, whose law are you breaking? God's. You are, you're primarily sinning against him. And the only cure for your sins is forgiveness. That's the only cure. Forgiveness. And you cannot do it on your own, by your own strength. You cannot do this for yourself before God. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The only way you get transferred into the kingdom from the darkness and have redemption before God is one particular thing. What is it at the end of there? That's the only way. I tell parents all the time, they say, we want to make the gospel attractive to our kids. We want them to like it. I want, want to try to get them to, to this, that, whatever. And I say, that's all great and wonderful, and it's all going to be good the way in which you try to do that to your, for your kids to help them make, make them see the gospel and understand it. But can I tell you, none of that really matters. The only thing that matters for your children is the information. You're a sinner, and your sins need to be forgiven. Do you believe it? That's it. Do you believe that? It's the reality, it's the truth. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, your sins will not be forgiven. If you do, you can have your sins forgiven in Christ. The only question is, do you believe it? That's it, it's just the information, right? That's true, you just gotta believe it. This is the issue here, and you can't cleanse yourself Proverbs 20, verse nine says, who can say I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? Nobody. Only God can forgive. Luke 5, 21, who can forgive sins but who? God alone. And he does so by sending Christ, who lived a perfect life on your behalf, who died on your behalf, Who paid the penalty for your sin by living a life, the perfect life before God, the holy life before God that you can't, didn't, won't live, and dying the death that you deserve to die. That is called substitutionary atonement, meaning he has atoned for your sins by being the substitute in your place, right? This is what 2 Corinthians 5:21 says: For Here's a couple of verses that illustrate substitutionary atonement. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God. Or 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I see a lot of people take that last part of that verse, Particularly here on the North Shore, and they they are uh, confident of God's healing work in their sickness, some kind of sickness in their life. Th- that is taking this in what it's in, out of context. It's not does not refer to that. This is talking about your sin sickness, and if you are in Christ, your 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 sins have been healed. The sickness of your sin has been healed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your health, right? in your wealth, and your prosperity. Amen. You know where I'm going. Amen. Okay. So when God makes us aware of your sinfulness, next step, your need for forgiveness, and you acknowledge it before God, repent of it, repent of living for yourself, believe in Christ and his atoning work, turn to him, receive judicial forgiveness, you are justified before God, meaning the judge God takes the hammer, and he looks at you in your eyes, and he says, not guilty, permanently. This case is over, done. It's finished. Walk out the door. You're not guilty anymore, at all, right? That's the judicial declaration of innocence that you receive by the judge because Christ took your place, the penalty for your sins. You don't have to pay it anymore. You got no more penalty on your account. Your record's clean. Christ, right? Justified. This is the opposite of those who reject this reality, that they are guilty sinners before God, because instead of humbly acknowledging it in the reality of this and crying out for God's forgiveness, they instead reject it in their pride. That's the opposite. But The one who recognizes it cries out, like Luke 18, 13 says, and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And through Christ he is. This happens by God's grace in the gospel, Christ's identity and work on your behalf. Ephesians 2 says, It is by grace through what? Okay, his grace, your faith in his work. Judicial forgiveness found in the gospel. By the way, this is what the whole Bible is about, the entire Bible. It's not a, a segmented a book of rules and regulations that teach you how to live for your own life to make it better. That's in there, but that's not, the, that's not what, how this book is designed. This is a story. From one cover to the other of God's redemption, it finds its climax in Jesus's forgiveness for you on the cross, and everything flows from that or flows to that. That's the whole book. That's why Christ is in everything we always say and do. It's the gospel centrality because the gospel is the center of the whole Bible, right? So this is how you receive permanent forgiveness before God. Then, and only then, after being forgiven by God as a way of life, the true disciple continually confesses their sins to God. Again, First John, if we confess our sins, remember, it's to the believer. This is the mark of a true disciple. Why is this important? Well, it deals with relational forgiveness. You will be, your relationship with God will be distant if you are not regularly confessing your sins, and it will grow more and more exponentially because then you'll try to cover it or pretend it doesn't exist or try to make up for it, or try to overcompensate for it, or try to hide it, or try to control it, which causes more sin out of guilt and shame, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you, before you know it, you are distant from God. Confession will stop that from happening. Regular confession, relational forgiveness. The believer still sins. These sins do not change, though, the declaration of your innocence if you are in Christ. If you have a child, he must first be your child. But then, if he is truly your child, whether through uh, natural birth or through uh, adoption or through whatever, if, they are your, if he or she is your child, that, that separation when you guys sin against each other doesn't mean the child is out of the family. Right? There's just separation there. It's not healthy in the home right? That's the same situation here. So Psalm 51, David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here's what you're praying. Psalm 51, 12, he goes on to say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Like, give me the joy back of your salvation. I want to live close to you and be happy about it all the time. That's what the the believer is praying always. In their confession, because he still calls God, Psalm 51:14, just a couple verses later, the God of my what? It doesn't change it, he's just distant. David's sin affected his, his relationship with God. He didn't want to make peace with his sin. He needed a daily, timely cleansing. He wanted communion, confession for true disciples. This is what this does. And now Jesus gives us some details. Let me just show you these briefly. Just look at the text with me. Forgive us our sins. And, meaning, in addition to verse 3, you don't just need daily bread, you need something else, and you need it more so. And, pray this, forgive. What does that mean? The meaning of the word forgive means to give away, or send away, or leave it, or hurl it. Think about the idea of forsaking. Imagine combining this, these words, forsake and give away, right? Like forsake something and give it away. Like forgive, meaning hurl it away from your sight, God, and your mind. Take it away from being between us. Don't let that be part of our relationship right now. Give, Hurl it away and hurl it away from me, right? And God does this initially in Christ. And then by his mercy, he does it as you pray this often. And then it says, forgive us our. Now, again, this has the corporate view in mind. Listen, this is so important. I hope you're recognizing this, all these plural pronouns that Proceed from this passage. This has more in view than just your own personal walk with God. It doesn't excuse that part of it, but it has more than that in view here. What's the concern? You should be a Christian who is concerned with God's people, you should be a Christian who is concerned with God's kingdom all the time. God, forgive us our sins. Listen, I'm, I want to be an intercessor. I want to be, I, I'm coming on behalf. Listen, no one needs to know, but I'm thinking for the whole here. We don't want to be far from you. We see this up ahead. We can't afford to be far from you. I know they did this. Forgive them, God. Forgive them. Forgive them. Don't count their sins against them. We need to be close from you. Don't remove yourself. Don't be distant from us. We all need you for your kingdom, for your glory, for your namesake, for your mission. As we are true disciples, we want to live in constant intimacy with you. You should be praying this on behalf of God's people. Forgive us our sins, God. This is what you're thinking. Our sin, our debt, are falling short of complete devotion of worship to God, which is what he deserves, us crossing the line into darkness, our disobedience. Forgive us, as Matthew says, our debts. So believers in Christ should live like this. Do you have the congregation, the corporate, the view of the body of Christ in view all of the time? The mature think this way. You notice how a dad, a dad is very rarely thinking about himself right, a mature dad that is loving his family in the midst of the throes of the family is very rarely thinking of yourself, now your dads in the room are saying, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Listen, I know, I know you're not perfect. I know you're not perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that, but the reality is you're, just, you're constantly thinking about the other. You're constantly thinking about everybody else in your, in your home and your family. I know you don't do it perfectly, but you got no choice, really, right but that's the way and you know how that is even if if you're not a dad how well, you treat your spouse or your your friends if you're a christian or or other people that you meet you always are having to think about others and in this way the mature think this way the immature think about themselves me myself and i always it's kind of gross it's gross you're not that important you're not that great And you know it. Listen, I tell you that with with love, this should be the regular pattern of our prayers. And then we look to the prerequisite for just a few minutes. For, look at the structure of this. For, for, or because, or the grounds. Now this is very weighty and interesting. For, that word is a big word right there. It tells us that there is a grounds here. There's a reason here. We, for which you should forgive me and restore my relationship with you. Not that you should forgive me judiciously, but that you should forgive me relationally and we should have restoration here and you should hurl them away. Why? Because I have forgiven everybody else. There's not that in between us anymore. I've hurled it away, I've thrown it away, I forgive me, you th- hurl it away, you throw it away. I, this, there's grounds here. It, logically, again, it doesn't make any sense for this not to be true. You can't have relational restoration with God when there's that still existing between you and another, another person or you and, and others. This is the grounds by which we should ask, we ourselves, plural again, we ourselves, plural again, Forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We've cast them away who sinned against us. We forgive those who have sinned against us, and we're requesting forgiveness from you. This is prerequisite. The term prerequisite is a good term because Luke's account here is, is saying that something is happening almost simultaneously with us requesting forgiveness, for we ourselves forgive everyone. Meaning, we forgive, so you would forgive. And Luke says it even more definitively, I mean Matthew, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's almost something that's already taken place. Just in case you're wondering, God, when I'm asking for forgiveness, I've already done it. I forgive him. Now, Jesus teaches us this. We don't have a ton of time, but this is natural to understand that this, there's no unhindered fellowship with him. It doesn't make sense if we harbor bitterness. We can't have it because there's still more to confess then and still more to be forgiven. Right? And we won't be in step with the gospel, uh, gospel. We still sin unconfessed and we're holding on to unforgiveness towards others. Now listen, I want to take a moment here, okay? We could and we probably should do a whole Series. Maybe when we face it, I'll take a few extra weeks on it of forgiving others. Especially in, in our culture. We should take a whole series on this. Because unforgiveness in our society, in our churches, is we sort of just can live content with it. Just feel justified in it with this bitterness. We know it's there. We might not tell anybody that, or maybe we do, but it's there. Listen, we don't have much time to say about it, but let me say this foundationally, okay? Let this be a help for you. I know, we know from the word, that it's not, because I don't have time to, to delineate into a whole bunch of aspects of this. Don't let this excuse you, but let this help you. We know that it's not always possible for one reason or another to live actively involved lives with everybody. We know that, okay? We know that. There sometimes is an impasse due to whatever it is, a mixture of sin, a going of separate ways, a differences and where each other are at spiritually in the revealing of God's word. Even Paul and Barnabas separated over a dispute about Mark, right? But at the very least, at the very least, we laid down truly and honestly, because God knows the truth, truly and honestly before God, our faith, our burden, our forgiveness, our bitterness, whatever it may be, being kind to everyone and living free from it, and loving and humble and being forgiven. You just live open to it. Just live o- Reconciliation might not always be possible, but you just live open to it all the time, recklessly. Just open to it all the time. Just happy, my hands to the plow, I'm trusting God, I have him in view, I'm following him, I love his word, I'm open to reconciliation all the time, and I just live that way. Like, oh, big deal right? Let's be reconciled. And that's how we live. We live free. We live hoping for the good of the kingdom. We allow putting it down and we're humble and the Lord just picks it back up. And we just, he picks it up for us. And we just live humbly. Listen, we just open and kind and free. Can I tell you something? It's all going to be over soon anyway. I mean, listen, it's just all going to be over soon. This is going to be over so soon. It's all going to be over soon anyway. This life does not matter besides Christ. It's just going to be over so soon. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just, it doesn't matter. Listen, this world is not that important. It's just not. We're all going to be united. If you're in Christ, we're all going to be united before God in just the twinkling of an eye. It's, it's just, this world is not that important. We, so we just allow no bitterness in our hearts. I mean, who cares? Just keep walking, keep loving, keep sharing the gospel, keep forgiving, keep being hurt, keep, keep, keep being broken. I mean, just, just live and trust God and be happy in Him. Listen, we just have true forgiveness in our hearts. No one has to prove anything to us. We're free from that. Be happy and kind to the Lord. Whatever He decides to do, we just entrust ourselves to Him. Can I tell you something? Bitterness comes when you put way too much stock in this world. Like, you just, end, end, you just live like this is your home, your permanent home. Like, this is your, you got to build a name for yourself and your identity and your home here. Like, live out of a stinking suitcase. Like, that's how you're living here. That's how you should be living here. Like, you're living out of a suitcase, that's how we should live. It's, it's just gonna be over so soon. It truly doesn't matter about your identity or if you're seen as right or if people like you or if you got a lot of reputation or if you're hurt or, or if, they're, you know, if you don't got forgiveness and kindness. I mean, it's just like, just live following the Lord and his word, kindness, humility, forgiveness. Listen, f- the Bible says flee youthful passions. It's like those teenage years, remember? And you're like, and teenagers take heed, don't be like this, right? Listen. Where you're like, oh, did you hear what he said and remember that and you're, you're talking about it all the time and avoid them, oh, there they are, let me avoid. I mean, it's like, that's what we do in our youthfulness. Just forgive. Flee youthful passions. Be easy to forgive, easy to apologize. Nothing's gonna matter anyway in this world. It's just temporary. Just don't take it too seriously. We're all sinners. Just keep your hand to the plow. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Be humble, Right? When we're offended, we believe ourselves to have some moral high ground and therefore we feel justified in making the one who has sinned against us a villain. So we have the moral high ground. The Bible actually tells us that, pre-re- that forgiveness is a prerequisite for a lot of things. Matthew 6, for if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Remember the parable of the unloving servant? To illustrate this, check this out. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times. In Jewish culture, if you forgive three times, the fourth time is judgment. And Peter thinks he's doing a a good thing here. He's like, I'll double that, Lord. I'll forgive him that many times. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, not even close, right? And then he illustrates this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which was the the greatest number that they could say in this way. So that's why 10,000 usually represents like just a general large amount. I mean, this is a large amount that he's owed. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that they had to be payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant, released him and forgave him All the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him out, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, he was greatly distressed, went and reported it to the master and then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also your heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You have forgiven, forgiven so much in Christ. How dare you? With love, how dare you? How dare I? Harbor unforgiveness. Listen, or how about the prerequisite for worship? Matthew five, I'll just jump to verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Leave your gift at the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother. That's why I say it's prerequisite. And can I tell you something? You know how Paul, like I told you, he separated from Barnabas because Mark would not follow. He had some issues with Mark. Listen, let me tell you this. Even at the end of his life, even at the end of his life, as Barnabas and Mark had separated from him because of what Mark did, look at what Paul writes. Let this be an encouragement to you. This is him writing to Timothy at the end of of his life. And check this out. Check Check out this forgiveness, this free forgiveness, this reckless forgiveness. This is what he writes to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. For Demas... In love with this present world, he's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Now, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Wait a second. You separated from Barnabas because you didn't want Mark to come with because Mark had forsaken you earlier. There's no bitterness here. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. He was cold. Carpus had one of his cloaks. He needed it. Also the books he wanted to read up until the very end of his life. And above all, the parchments, right, that have been written. Maybe the scriptures. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You guys should beware of him yourself. Listen, he's strongly opposing our message. At my first defense... Before the council, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they're not, they don't know what they're doing, right? But the Lord stood by me, strengthened me. That's what's important so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. That's the only thing that matters. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. That's it. I got the eternal view in my sights, right? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is so important. Listen, taking an offense, can I tell you this real quick? Taking an offense is a powerful drug. And taking offenses regularly is a powerful drug. Abigail Dads says this, it's a powerful drug. It's a powerful drug because precisely it gives you us power. When you are one who is always being offended by everything everyone else is doing, it's a powerful drug because you know what it gives you? Power over them. But really it doesn't. It imprisons you to them. And can I tell you also this? I'm asking you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We're almost done. I'm going to just make mention of the sixth seed. This is, through these means, relational conflict, forgiveness, humility, those are the greatest means by which God aims to sanctify you and humble you. You will be humbled more through relational conflict Conflict, forgiveness, abandonment, etc., then you will be humbled by anything. And God means to humble you because that's like Him. Humility, pride, and humility are the number one things He is working at in your life. No question. 100% of the time. Your faith and humility. Always. Always. He's going to humble you through this as you learn to not keep record of wrong as you learn to strive for peace with everyone but recognize it's not always possible, as you forgive always, as you just open your hands and say, really, it's got no effect on my life if I forgive or if I don't. I'm just going to keep on forgiving. I'm just going to go to heaven one day. Like You are going to become a humble person. He is using this to sanctify you, but if you give in to it and you harbor it, you will stay the same forever. You will stay the same forever. So, Jesus teaches this, this. I have so much more to say about it, Um, but we need to take heed to this. Um, John Piper in a recent um, Ask Pastor John tells us to pray this out loud, and I thought it relates, so let me say this. Say to Jesus every day, speak the truth of full surrender to him. And this is in light of confession and then forgiveness of others. Say to Jesus and mean it every day with as much truthfulness as you can. I love you, Jesus. I love you more than I love anyone. And say it out loud. I surrender all other loves as subordinate to you. I ask that if anything, if there is any self-deceit in my saying of this, that you would take it away at any cost. Take it away. Cause me to speak this truly and authentically. And he says, then you should pray and ask that your heavenly father would work this miracle in you. Say things, he says of himself, I say things like this to the Lord regularly. I express my love to him, my allegiance to him, my trust in him, and then very honestly, I admit to him that my heart is deceitful, there are hidden faults, there are explicit faults. I would, I, I would ask that please kill in me anything contrary to my confession of surrender I may, and make me pure and truthful, Say it out loud. Say this to the Lord in your life. Well, prayer seed number six. Finally, I'm just gonna take a couple minutes. I'm sorry, we're we're over. Let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you this. Ready? You need to recognize every day that you are weak and without hope to fight your sin without Christ doing the work in your life. That's it. You need to recognize this. Here's what Matthew says. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God, as I live for you, don't let me fall into it. Don't let me step into it. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, and we just need your help. Help us to be people who pray for forgiveness regularly, and help us to be people who pray regularly not to enter into temptation. Help us when we go into the meeting to say, Lord, let me not lead into selfish, lead me not into selfishness or bitterness or unforgiveness, lead me into grace. When we go into our parenting, help us to, to pray, God, help us not to, to ask, help us not to, to wanna retreat from our responsibility, but instead help us. Help us just to pray continually, to not give way to, to the temptation of the flesh, but deliver us from that help us to trust in you. God, we need your help in, in both of these areas. I pray you'd use this in our life. I know we're, we're, we're over time, but uh, we just need it. We need this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.